MX Network Production. Pope MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pope MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PulpMX at BTOsports.com and click the Amazon banner on PulpMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. I'm Steve Mathis. Of course, BTOsports.com, proud sponsors of the uh, BTO Sports KTM team with Andrew Short and Justin Brayton, and now Millsaps next year. Use the code PulpMX when you're checking out at BTOsports.com to save yourself money. And uh, they've got OEM parts, they've got all the latest and greatest gear and stuff, and we thank BTO for coming on board. And of course, Fox Racing, continuing the relentless pursuit to innovate and elevate. Flex Air stuff now available. Rocks and Dungy, some of the guys that wear it. Foxhead.com. Cody Local Authorized Fox Dealer. If your dealer doesn't carry Fox, you should probably go somewhere else. All right, everybody, like I said, I'm Steve Mathis. With me on the line, a guy who probably doesn't get enough credit um, for what uh, he's done for the sport of motocross in Australia and what he's done ab- abroad racing and uh, representing um, the uh, the Australian flag. And I wanted to get him on here for a long time. Finally got his number from Burner. And uh, thanks, Craig Dack. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it's great to talk to you, buddy. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Man, you've done a lot in your career. I don't even know. When I sat down with this pad of paper in front of me i'm like where do i start um before we talk about your career and everything else i guess how's the team going this year and talk about that a little bit how's the season going for you guys yeah well first of all i've just turned 51 so it feels like i have done a lot steve (laughs) (laughs) my my body's weary from my racing days and my brain is weary from my team owner days (laughs) it has i've had i have fitted a lot in 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 a short time it feels or a long time now Mm mm-hmm but uh, look, things going back to my team in Australia this year. We we not only run the uh, where the Yamaha Australia's official motocross and supercross team, but it, this is the third year we've taken on Yamaha's off-road program as well, so the enduro program. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, two riders in the motocross and supercross team, and then two riders in the off-road team. And uh, we've we've structured the program accordingly with all the right sponsors. Some of the technical side of the, the development of the bikes. Uh, goes across both teams. We have uh, Gary Ben, who's been with me as uh, my... He was my mechanic back when I raced, and he's our uh, chief technician here these days and Mm -hmm. mainly in charge of suspension. So he goes across both teams with the suspension. And then we have an engine guy and uh, ignition guy, which is Brad McAlpine. Mm-hmm. And then we have mechanics there um, that that for each one of the riders in both the off-road and the motocross program. But um, this year we've had a. It's been a pretty tough year. We've, we've won over. We've won three um, championships with the off-road team since its inception about three years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, we won 36 national championships uh, with the motocross supercross team since I took it over in 1993. I started doing this after I retired. Mm-hmm. So you know, this year has been a little bit of a tough year. We had a lot of injuries with both the off-road and motocross guys. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we started off quite strong in both programs, but then we sort of, you know, fell into one of those, you know, slumps you go in from time to time. It seemed every every five minutes we'd we'd have another rider go down with some sort of injury. <laughs> right. But we've, you know, the last month or so we've got everybody back on track, and we've, you know, I think we've won the last five races in a row. We've won three rounds of the motocross and a couple of rounds of the uh, enduro series as well. So Sweet. we're all back on track. And as a long-time uh, Yamaha team owner, and I know from, you know, I go to all the supercrosses and motocrosses over here, and the new 250F is incredible. It's elevated any any team that runs that program has been up. And the 450, that, you know, let's face it, it, it wasn't a bike that everybody loved when it came out. Um, we always known it's been fast, but there's been some chassis changes. So some of them, thanks to a guy like Josh Coppins, who, who you know you're familiar with, there's been some chassis changes on the 450 to make it a much more agreeable bike. And that bike is uh, pulling hole shots, and it's winning over here. And so it's easier for you, as a team owner, to try to get guys to get on Yamaha right now than it was, say, five years ago, isn't it? Well, that's true. Yeah. Well, when when the, the well, let's call it the reverse engine, why mm-hmm. the 450 first came out, we. Um, you know, which was the bike. It sort of, I feel like it got a fairly bad rap. Right. Um, it, it it wasn't. You know, we found it not as bad as what we were reading you know, right, around right. the traps. And in in fact, we were the only team in the world that won consecutive championships every year that model was out since its inception with that reverse engine. We mm-hmm. won four years in a row with Jay Marmont, and then we won the last year with Josh Coppins. So. You know, we we still dominated with that bike here in Australia, which was the only team in the world. But you're right, Steve. It had it had some fundamental issues with it um, back when it was first brought out. But mm-hmm. over the course, I think this is the second or third generation of that that concept now. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, particularly the 16 bike, which we've already done some stuff on already. It's really, really starting to come to its fruition. You know, it, mm-hmm. I guess Yamaha. Have always, if you look at Yamaha's history over the years, for you know, go way back when they've always been quite game to have something to do something revolutionary. You know, they mm-hmm. did it with the four strokes. They've done it with, you know, I think the YZM five hundred back in the day, which was the first bike to have an aluminium frame. So yeah. they're not afraid to have a go at something. Right. Um, and then, you know, they'll they'll jump out of left field and do something pretty crazy. Then they then they spend the next several years refining that concept. And I think Yamaha's got to that point right now where they've got a really really good motorcycle. Yeah, it's a good point. I think they were one of the first ones with the with a with a style of power valve that we're kind of using today, as well as the Monoshock was pretty outrageous when it came out too. You know, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've done a lot of things, Steve. You know, the rotary disc back, and I think even Danny Laporte. Yeah. One of the famous American riders rode one of those yeah. 125 rotary discs. So they've done a lot of innovative things over the years. Um, what's the? I used to I used to write for Gobert, uh, MotoOnline.com.au, and I would read a site more than I do now. So I apologize for my lack of information here. But what's the state of Aussie motocross nowadays? What? How's it going? Uh, talk about that a little bit. The series in general, and uh, and all that. How's it going? Yeah, it's it, it's very solid. It's had the same um, the same coordinator or promoter for the last sort of decade or more. Um, it's a ten round series. Uh, we run sort of the traditional format. We run the two thirty minute plus two lap motos. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a unique program. We have qualifying. Then we have we qualify down to the you know down after a forty five thirty minute qualifying session. Then we qualify down to the top five guys. 
and then we have something called Superpole, where mm-hmm. yep. we send each one of those five riders out for one lap uh, with 15-second intervals, and uh, the fastest guy obviously gets pole position or first pick of the grid, and second gets second pick and so on. But they, um, they award points to that as well. So you get an extra five points for first, and then obviously fifth gets one point. So that goes on to your overall championship tally. So that just adds a little bit more excitement and spice on the day, I think. Right. Um, but the t- look, it's, it's, it's pretty tough market here in Australia at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, like the economy everywhere in the world, it's very, very tough. So I think it's, you know, it's a, it's a different place in America. We only have 24 million people in Australia, opposed right. to you guys with, you know, a quarter of a million or more, I think. Yeah. So... You know, we, our spectators aren't as big as what they are in America. Um, it's very hard for us to get television at a high level here in Australia uh, because of the, the profile of the sport. But um, the current promoter, Kevin Williams, is doing a pretty good job under the circumstances, I think. And, you know, we do quite well with the social media. He's doing a lot of his own mm-hmm. um, live streaming now, which is going very well around the world. So all in all, it's a pretty solid and strong series. Um, Supercross has been quite difficult here in the last several years. Um, we, we, it's a very different place, Australia, once again, yeah. the lack of people. Um, and, you know, for Supercross, we really don't have the venues that you have in America. You know, you have a lot of big venues with roofs on top, so that, yeah. you know, you don't get trouble with weather. But mm-hmm. here in Australia, there's very few stadiums that have ruse on the top so the weather can affect the whole program you know yeah it's weird though like when i talk to the guys from nitro circus or that crusty demons of dirt tour now look that's a that's a 180 degree difference from from supercross but australians can't get enough of those freestyle shows that go back and back and sell out and sell out but yeah like you said supercross has never really caught on you know the way it can can be so no, it back in the when it first came out in Australia, Steve, which was in you know you know it, particularly we have some smaller stadiums, mm-hmm. which are more like your arena cross over there, which right. the stadiums have roofs on them. And when they first started doing that, we were packing the places out. That's when I was racing. We were getting you know up to sort of twenty twenty five thousand oh, okay. people over two nights, which yep. is a solid crowd right, in any yeah, terms for sure. Um, but over the course of time, I think the costs are high in these venues, and we outgrew those small venues with the 450s coming involved and mm-hmm. a whole bunch of other reasons. It's just become a very difficult place to, to a very costly place to run Supercross. If anybody's right. been to Australia from America in particular, you'll find it's a very expensive place to live. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a yeah costly place. Right. Um, you know, we saw our, our mutual friend, Chad Reed, he, posted some photos of him. I don't know how big of a social media guy you are, but he posted some photos of him on a Yamaha, and we know he's talking to them, and he could potentially ride there next year. We also know there's a Supercross coming in the fall. Uh, James Stewart and Chad Reed are announced as the riders. You may be helping out your buddy Chad Reed once again this fall. Who knows, huh? Well, we might be able to get the band back together. You <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I mean. <laughs> do, you have any go the, do you have any Go The Rat gear laying around? Throw that on. I got some go the rat gear. I don't think I would fit into it now, but I don't. I have my head's full of grey hairs now, so I can't see that Chad would add any more grey hairs like he used to. Do. But well, yeah. if, 
Hey, I just... I, I'm, I, sure, I'm, I, I'm sure he will keep the stress levels up if it all happens, that's for sure. I, I warn you now, just bring lots of shims and oil because you will be changing that suspension. There's no doubt about that. No doubt, no <laughs> doubt. As I said, it's, uh, if it all comes that way, I'm starting to get the heebie-jeebies already. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's scared a few people away for sure. Um, yeah, no doubt. Hey, um, uh, your relationship with Coppins over the years, Josh Coppins, of course, he should be your mortal enemy because he's, uh, you know, uh, a Kiwi. But uh, somehow you guys have made it work over the years. Uh, I know Josh pretty well. I've done a few of these with him. I see him at the Motocross the Nations here and there. And uh, always uh, a real great guy the sport. Sad to see him not racing anymore. He's still doing some work. But, man, what what a nice guy and what an asset to your team. And just uh, uh, talk about Josh Coppins a little bit. Yeah, you're right, mate. He's um, he's a sensational guy. I never had um, – we've both said to each other over the last several years since we really got to know each other that it's a shame we didn't get to know each other a lot earlier because um, he's um, – He's a really good guy. He, when we hired him um, after he finished that Aprilia program mm-hmm. in Europe, when he was doing that development program for Aprilia, we got him here um, and to finish out his career. And he, he really should have won the championship both years. But believe it or not, going into the yeah. the last, the first turn of the last moto of the the series, which he just pretty much had it won, he crashed and, and dislocated his shoulder, which was extremely sad. And, yeah. Uh, but he went runner up. But then again, he won it the next year. And then you think so, about, and then you think about the time he hit the fence when he had a huge lead in the world in the world championships that time. You know, like he's had a he's had a few really bad luck stories. But the amazing thing when you talk to him about that, he just goes, you know what? That was um, that was just the way it is, and mm-hmm. you can't look back, and you've got to look forward. And as you know, Steve, if you know his character, that he's such a strong personality, and he's a he's a really nice guy to boot. But when he, you know, we we strongly, I strongly suggested to Yamaha, both you know Australia and and Japan, to when he retired to try and keep him on in some way, right? As far as the development or R and D program, which he works strongly, he works with Steve Butler, who's a good friend of mine, yeah, over there with the um, you know development of the YZ and WR program, right? And and um, you know he's also running the Yamaha New Zealand team, which we I helped him get that together. Uh huh. So we do share riders because the New Zealand Championship uh, runs in the early months of the year, like January, February, because it's summer over here when it's winter, your time. Yeah. Oh, and um, so he, we send some of our riders over to him um, mm-hmm. to do their championship, which is, gives us a good build-up for our championship here in Australia, which starts in March. So, yeah, it's a very healthy and strong relationship between both Yamaha Australia and New Zealand, and both Josh and myself. Right. And a great test rider, right? Like, I don't know how you were as a rider, um, but he, he himself, man, what, what I've heard from Butler, from the Yamaha guys over the years, great test rider. And, there's, you know, Aprilia paid him a lot of money to help work out the kinks on that thing. So, um, you know, yeah, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to a bike. He, he does, and I think that's one of the things that you, with the, sometimes works good with Australians and even New Zealanders that, you know, we're very basic in our approach. You know, we just say what we feel mm-hmm. and we let the technicians um, make, you know, work out what all that means. And mm-hmm. Josh is very clear and concise about his, his input and he'll go out and just do his job and talk about what the bike's doing, make some some suggestions and has a quite a broad view on the bike. So, yeah, he's... we, we I remember when he was racing with us, we one day we did a... 
a, a very, very minor um, ignition curve change mm-hmm. with him, which was very minor. We didn't even think he would feel it. Yeah. And we sent him out to do a lap, and he did a lap on the bike or a couple of laps, and he come in and pretty much exactly in theory what we did, he yeah. noticed right down to the last millimeter. It was amazing. I was talking to him. You know, obviously what didn't help the Yamaha YZ450 was James Stewart and the big hire by JGR and James crashing out, leaving the team halfway through the year. And, and all that. And, um, you know, obviously James not happy with the bike, and, and that did not help at all. Around that time, I was talking to Josh over email or at some races, and God, did he explain the problem with that first-gen backwards motor 450? He explained the problem to me, not the problem, quote-unquote, but the issue that the bike had, how it was going to be changed the next year, and I match it up to the kind of the stuff that Stu told me in private, and Josh was right. Like what James was saying was what Josh was like. Yeah, it's a little bit of an issue, and um, you know we're going to fix it, and it's going to be great, and all that. And I'm just like, wow, this guy, like he knows it. <laughs> yeah, and look, he, and he's he's been around for so long. You know, he left. I remember he told me he left. Uh, <laughs> he left New Zealand, I think, as a 16 year old, mm-hmm. and turned up in Europe in the middle of winter. He said he got off the plane in the middle of winter with, a, with some shorts and T-shirt on. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's how green he was and just sort of made his own way through the mm-hmm. whole Grand Prix scene. You know, started right at the bottom yeah. and was living hand-to-mouth like we've all probably done at some point, you know, um, and making enough money at an international race to get to the next race and, you know, made it all the way through. Right. He did a fantastic job. No, no doubt about it. And Motocross the Nations Australia team, uh, you're back involved with it. You're usually a big part of it. Are you? Uh, you're going to be back in France and uh, and all that. Talk about who's on the team and how's that going. Yeah, I don't have a lot to do with it, Steve. These days, okay. um, Gary Ben, who who is my chief mechanic here, he's been around. He used to manage the Yamaha team in Europe back in the sort of Donny Smith days, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Pekka Vekkonen and and. Strybos and all those guys, yeah. and uh, he now is a team manager for the Motocross the Nations team and has done for the last decade, I think. Uh, but I think it's a really strong team this year. You've got both Todd Waters and Dean Ferris, who are based in Europe, so yep. they know the whole drill over there. And there's a new kid on the block that actually Josh Coppins is helping, Jay Wilson, who's come pretty strong in the, in the lights program mm-hmm. uh, in the last couple of months or, or weeks. Um, and he's been selected as the lights guy, so it's it's not a it's not a bad team. It's quite a strong team. I wouldn't I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if they don't go top five. To be quite honest, All right? Uh, well, they'll be better than my country, Canada, which is not sending a team yet again. So. Not, they're not sending one at all this year. No, no heartbreak. Last year we made the A main, though. We made the A main. Um, yeah. Uh, hey, let's wow. let's uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about your career. Let's get in the time machine here. Go back to uh, Craig Dack to the early days. Uh, I guess I was a pretty big reader of motocross magazines in America. Um, over and really, when I think of Australian motocross back then, it's it's Jeff Lees, it's Glenn Bell, and it's Craig Dack. Did you three guys just? I mean, God, you must have eight million races against each other growing up. Or was that the case? Where I think Bell's a little older, but. Man, you guys were, were kind of the, the guys that we knew down under. Yeah, we, we were the sort of first. Sort of, I guess you know our careers ran from the early 80s or the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. And I think Leesk and myself in particular were the first boy racers. We, we, we were the first to sort of leave school and get 
somewhat of a professional ride, were the first to get paid to, to race motor, motorcycles in Australia. Mm-hmm. The era before us was sort of starting to get paid, but they still had jobs. So it was sort of, you know, they were on the cusp of that full professional side of things. But Leith and I were the first that left school and become professional riders from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And um, and you're right, that the, Bell and I were probably bigger rivals because we just stayed in Australia and competed against each other through that, you know, early to mid, early early 80s to early 90s. But Leith pretty much took off uh, for his international career. From, I think, 80, 1986, mm-hmm. um, Leith went to yeah, America. Came to and America. got his first, I think, uh, satellite or, or support program with Honda, mm-hmm. and then and then I think eighty seven, eighty eight, he maybe may have went to Yamaha there for a couple of years or a year or so, and then yeah. he went across to Europe. So, right. you know, we we never really had too many battles together because he was chasing an international career a lot earlier than me. Right. But um, did you grow you up? Know, the series in Australia back then was called the Mister Motocross Series, right. which was very unique. That was the thing you wanted to win. And uh, I was lucky enough to win four of those in a row, and I think I've won, you know, eight or nine national championships mm-hmm. and represented Australia at the motocross nation seven times over my time. Yeah. And um, yeah, I had a pretty pretty strong career from about 1985 through to about 1992 was the peak of my career. Was, was there? Did you um, did you grow up with Lee's? Like, were you on 80s together, or were you grow, growing up different parts of Australia? Yeah, different parts. Okay. Jeff was from uh, the western part of Australia. Oh, okay, Perth which side. Which is about, yeah. you know, which is 6,000 kilometers from one side to Australia to the other. Oh, so. And um, the western side of Australia is very sandy. That's why, you know, Lee was always good in the sand when he was in those European races. So we never we never it, really competed against each other it in was, the uh, scene at all. It was all, I heard about this Dak guy, and, and you're like, I heard about this Lease guy, and you guys can't can't ever meet in the middle of Australia because there's nothing there. But, um, yeah, Manjimup's on the west side, right? So that's all sandy and everything else out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah Manjimup is a very famous race. Yeah, I won right. four or five of those, and that was, I think the Motocross the Nations was there back yeah. in the day as well. Yeah, were you, did you ride it then? No, I I just retired oh, okay. at that point, so yeah. I missed that one. It would have been ninety two, I think, or ninety three. Yeah, ninety two. I think you're right. Yeah. Yes. Um. So yeah. So you and Leesk really never, like you said, he left in eight, in eighty six to come to America part time, I think, and then he was here full time in eighty seven, and so you guys never really ran into each other like at the local scene. Where like say like Chad and Burner were just you know motoring with each other no. for a long time. You guys weren't really like that. No, not at all. He. He, we're very we're same age, but he was he seemed to get a lot quicker earlier than I did. Yeah. But in 1985, in the Mister Motocross Series, he won it that year, mm-hmm. and I was third. And I was the new kid on the block. I was just starting to come up to that sort of speed. And then he took off to America in 1986. And in fact, I got his ride at Honda for that year in 1986. So our paths just kept right, crossing. Right. But we did. We did represent Australia many times together, so we'll we'll we're bloody good teammates there. We, yeah. we used to go motocross the nations five or six years in a row, and in fact, we we held the highest place for Australia for nearly yeah. twenty years until <laughs> Reed and that beat us only a few years ago. So I, know after, I had one over Reedy for a while, but he finally got me. I know Reed. Reed, you were telling me, man, like year after year, we're favored to win or podium, and something always went wrong for those dudes, uh, Meddy, Burner, Chad, or whoever was on the team. Um, so uh, 
least goes to America in 86. I, there's that infamous photo in one of the magazines. He's upside down, at, like at Anaheim or something. Um, did you ever think about trying to come to America, or did you come? Did, did, was there any of that for you? Yeah, I remember that photo, Steve. That was he. He actually broke his jaw. Yeah, he broke his jaw. Someone actually landed on top of him and <laughs> smashed his face into the bars. And he, I remember seeing him not long after that, and he was he was drinking his food through a straw. Right, so right. He was in a bad way there. But no, I, I my career was more Australia. I think Leask was a level above me. Well, he definitely was. He was he was like one in a generation type rider, a bit like Chad is. You know, only Chad and him would probably go down as you know, in my book, is the two best riders Australia's ever developed by far. And um, the, I did go to Europe. Um, I, I did a little bit in America, mate. Not not a lot. Yeah, did you uh, come over? To, yeah, what'd you do? What'd you do over here? I just used to go across there, but really back in the early days. See, the licensing thing, it's very, it's a long story, but the licensing thing in, in the US and Australia is very different then. You couldn't race in America... You couldn't just come over there and do a race on your Australian license and go back home. You okay. had to give up your Australian license and take on an American license, and you, then you couldn't go back and get an Australian license. It was kind of very really? oh, convoluted. Wow. It was very technical. But I used to come over there pre-season back in the days of, you know, your Carlsbad race right. on Saturday and Saddleback and right, Corona right. and all those races just as a pre-season warm-up. So... You know that that was always good for us. Yeah, like so you would come and do the Golden States and uh, and and come yeah, over and warm up, right? Yeah, right. yeah. And a couple other tracks I remember. Three ninety five was one of those. tracks. Oh, it's still still there. It is still there. I wrote it. I wrote it a couple years ago. So um, <laughs> no way. Okay. Yeah, yeah, still there. Um, how'd you ever do? Like, I mean, this is Johnson, Lachine, you know, Wardy, those type of dudes. How'd you ever do in those races? Yeah, I was always I was up in the top ten. You yeah. know, I I was never really. You know, on the pace of those guys, you know, Johnson and Ward and all those guys. I was really good friends with Goat Brecker. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah, I used to come over and he, he stayed his place at Riverside and oh, yeah. and uh, do a lot of riding and training with him. Um, I became good friends with Daryl Schultz. Schultz. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he used to be good friends with Goat Brecker, so we used to all hang out and have a bunch of good fun and do a lot of hard riding and training which you know led me into my season here in australia so it was all good fun times yeah really right um that that, that sounds cool that sounds fun so like you know in a way like uh, were you well first of all were you always buddies with Leesk? i mean even though like you said you only saw each other designations and you kind of missed each other how's the relationship between you two? Oh, oh we're tight yeah really yeah. strong we don't you know he's got his uh stuff to do with ktm and and Hasfana and I've got my stuff, and we don't really see a lot of each other. We probably see each other yeah. three or four times a year, but when we do, we're fine. We, we, we're good buddies. We're, right. we're exactly the same age. There's only a couple of days difference in our age. Right. So <clears throat> we've always been tight. There's never been any issues with us. Right. So were you a little like, okay, so Leesk is factory Yamaha in 87, uh, 88, he's on factory Honda. Well, Honda support ride, 89 even. like I think he got third in the Supercross series. Were you a little jealous? Were you a little like, I mean, you, you know, we'll get into your GP thing, but a little bit of you was, were you cheering for Leask or it was a little bit of like, ah, shit, I, I could do that if I ever, like, you know, got the brakes or whatever? No, no, I never really, I don't think, Steve, I had a chip on my shoulder about yep. it. I was, I always felt that even in his earlier days, he was, um, he was, uh, you know, a very special rider. He was, mm-hmm. 
he was just always that level above me, so I, I knew my place. Right, right. In fact, <laughs> I have this one story I remember in Australia. We were at a, and I was only telling him last year about it. He doesn't remember, but I, I do clearly. But um, we are at this race in, in Sydney, and uh, I think I won the first moto, and uh, he'd won the second moto, and there was a three-moto format. And I'm sitting on them, so we're even points going into the last moto of the day. Right. And I was sitting on the starting line, and he came and lined up beside me, and I looked down at his rear wheel, and his tyre was flat on the starting line. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking, what do I do here? Do I tell him, or do I just <laughs> right. go and finally get to beat Leesk? Right, and right. And it got the better of me. I, told, I tapped his mechanic on the shoulder and said, hey, your tyre's flat, and they wheeled it back quickly, changed the wheel. Oh, inevitably okay. he went on to beat me and won the day. So. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Who said the good guys win? Yeah, really, right? No doubt. Um, so, in, how'd you uh, how'd you come about with the GP ride in '88? Talk about that a little bit. How'd that come together? Yeah, that was '89. So what? Oh, '89. Sorry, was yeah. Just one of those. Yeah, one of those fantasies that I, you know, I, I sort of was. I'd been dominating in Australia here for the last three years, and um, felt like I'd achieved everything I needed to achieve here. Um, so I always wanted to do the world championship more than going to America for some reason. Mm -hmm. I always felt that I was stronger at motocross than supercross. Right. And, um, so the world was a much bigger place then too. So, you know, it was, you didn't have like you have now, you didn't have like all the satellite or support teams that you'd have now in the pitch. You just had, you know, pretty much the five major factory teams. Mm -hmm. You may have had two or three, four riders each team. And after that, you were just, you know, in your pickup. With a, with a jerry can. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I went to Europe, and uh, I got a deal through Yamaha uh, UK, and I had to do the British Championships, which I found that really difficult because that was mm-hmm. a completely different world <laughs> of racing there. Yeah, mud too, right? Lots uh, of, lots I of... loved the Grand Prix. Yeah. I did most of the Grand Prix. I think my highest place was uh, fifth place overall, so that was pretty strong. Yeah, that's good. Um, that was through the series, through the era of John Michelle Bale. Right. He, he did the world championship on a 250 and 89, which is the same year as me. And, you know, I, I think I finished 19th in the championship that year. I didn't go to the, a couple of rounds in, in South America because of the cost. Yeah. But, you know, it was one of those things that I did it and I was happy to do it and had a couple of strong results and, did you, you know, uh, have some fond memories of it. Did you go to Unadilla that year? I did go to Unadilla. Yep. Actually, yeah, we rode the Unadilla was 1987 Motocross the Nations, if you remember. Oh, that's true, right. Yeah, you went there, yeah. So you and were... it was, it rained really hard. It was really, really <laughs> yeah. muddy. Yeah. Um, but in 89, the USGP was at Unadilla too, I think. Arge- Arge- I, yes. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't go. And I think, I think that, that the American round, I didn't go because of my, because of the cost. And Venezuela were on the but, same trip. Yeah, and you were like, all right. Um, yeah, so it's that kind of a neat little little dream, right? Like to, to get to do that. And so you lived in you lived in England and you just dealt with mud races twenty four seven winning the British championships, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much it was my first experience early in the season. You know, I'd never ridden in the snow before and that's quite different. Maybe Steve, you've had experience riding in the snow beach in Canada, but <laughs> yeah. not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, I have actually, scarily enough. Our usual first races were were snowed a little bit out. But um so okay, so at the end of that you just you went back home? Yeah, I went back home. I finished my career back here in Australia. Uh, you know, there's a bit of a it's a, it was a little bit of a famous era there where we had 
tobacco advertising in our sport. We had Marlborough okay. uh, cigarettes that were sponsoring us. We had the Marlborough bikes, which were the fluo orange, and oh, you know, that was yeah. very famous here. So. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah and um, they um, they got me back, Marlborough, or Philip Morris got me back after the Grand Prix, and I finished out my last two or three years mm-hmm. here in Australia with them um, because I was... You know, I was on the cusp there in the Europe. If I had a, if I had a stayed another year, right, uh, there wasn't wasn't really a chance to get a factory deal because unless you were actually dominating in Europe, right, um, then they would hire. You know, the you know whether it's Belgium or yeah. or Swedes or Germans, or they Italian, didn't really yeah. want to start hiring Australians or anything like that. You know, yeah, Rinaldi's not going to look over Puzar and sign Craig Dack. You know, so pretty much, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah, so it had its it had its regional uh, issues with it, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Yeah, for sure. And I guess back then, I guess you never saw Leask because he's he's in America. He's not in GPS at that point, right? Yeah, that's his last year in America, eighty nine. So yeah, now he yeah. did. Jeff Jeff was doing. See, back then too, Steve. The Grand Prix were all the one twenty five, two fifty, five hundred. Yeah, they were all run on different different. Uh, they're all run on the same day, but at different venues. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, right, you wouldn't have run into it anyway. Not like right. now where it's all on the same day in the same right. venue. So, Leask was doing the 500s, and I was doing the 250s. So, mm, yeah. you know, uh, so the, 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 we're all over the place in those days. Right. Motocross the Nations, like you said, 88, France, uh, uh, you got fourth. And I remember you guys did pretty good in Italy in 86, too, because Canada... I think Canada got sixth or seventh in '86, which was a huge deal for us. And I think you guys were right around there too. So, what was your best? Uh, obviously, your team best was '88. But what was your your best ride at a, at a motocross the nations? Well, that was that was the very first year I rode the motocross the nations okay. was in '86 in Majora. All right, and that was the famous Majora event. That right. was when. If everybody remembers in America, and particularly when you know Omara won all those races, all that race on the 125. Yeah. And so I, I remember I had in the first moto, I was, that was my best result there in Majora. My first moto, I had a rear brake problem, mm-hmm. so I finished top 10, I think. Right. But the last moto, I rode really strong. I, David Bailey won it mm-hmm. on a 500. Johnson was second on the 250. And Dave Thorpe, had just won the world championship the weekend before, was, was third on the 500. Then right. I was right behind him. I almost passed Dave Thorpe. So Yeah. You know, I was the second 250 and the fourth outright in that race. That was probably my most standout race in the motocross the nations for sure. It was just a an insane event. It was, uh, a, you know, there was yeah. there was something like seventy or eighty thousand people there, and you, the whole track was just like riding through a corridor of people. It was in, amazing. Yeah, it, I didn't realize you got fourth. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, like you said, in America racing circles, it's it's the race that. Omera whooped up on Thorpe, and Thorpe had some brake issues maybe or something, but it kind of gets lost that, you know, like, yeah, you're fourth. That's awesome. So, Yeah, it was a really good day. And I remember I remember, I was sort of in awe of those American guys and even particularly Johnny Omara watching right. him ride that 125. And I think one of the nicest things that happened for me was when I was running the team or managing the team over there for, for Yamaha Troy mm-hmm. in the early 2000s, uh, we end up hiring Johnny O'Mara as the rider race day liaison. Oh, okay. So Johnny O and myself became good friends, and he's a super nice guy. And he I'm, is, I'm, yeah. Haven't seen Johnny since those times, but we 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 made a really good relationship there for that. I think it was 2001 when when Chad was doing the 
the the the East Coast 250 there. So yeah. you know that was that was great to meet Amari. He's a great guy. Yeah, you're like, hey man, remember the '86? <laughs> and uh, yeah, exactly. And exactly. in France, it's I remember Lise gave uh, uh, Bale some trouble and Lachine won. How did '88 France go when you guys got fourth overall? How how did it go for you? Yeah, I can't remember. I think I was. <laughs> I can't re- really remember my results in that, but I think I was in the top five or top six in, yeah. in both races, something like that. Uh-huh. So I think Leith was the one that, um, you know, he, he was the one that carried us across the line that year, but we're all part of it. So yeah, for I sure. can't remember specifically my results. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, okay, so you retire from racing, um, you know, nice racing career, doing the GPs and everything else. And, you know, you're kind of finding your way, starting your team, going like that. When do you first see Chad Reed? When do you see that guy? I think it was in, geez, it must have been late 90s. Okay. Yeah, it must have been 98, something like that, 99. Mm-hmm. And um, he's he was on a Suzuki team the year before we, we got him. But his dad came and approached me, um, Mark Reed. Mm-hmm. said, look, I really want you to you know, take my son under your wing. Yeah. Um, and make sure you look after him. And I said, yep, I'll do it. And so he, basically his dad gave me Chad Reed and told me to, to look after him, which I, <laughs> which I did my best. Right. And um, so that was for one year. And then he decided, then he had, all this is a bit vague, but I remember him <laughs> coming to me and talking to me about wanting to go to America. Yeah. And he had um, a couple of support team offers. Who those teams were, I can't remember. Yeah. And but also what he did, he had a an offer from Factory Kawasaki in Europe mm-hmm. to go and do the Grand Prix, which was never part of his yeah. real desire. His whole desire was always to get to America. Mm-hmm. And you know, just as a friend, I advised him. You know, I think that if you if you get with the factory team, if you at your age, I think that's the best way for you to go. Get involved with the factory team, so it at least gives you the first or the best opportunity to do well, right. and it'll give you notoriety straight away being involved in a factory team. So he went to Europe, just him and Ellie went to Europe that, that particular year and signed right. for Kawasaki, which was Jan de Grobe. Yep. And um, I think he ended up runner-up in the World Championship that year, which was what led him, which was his sort of fast track to America the yeah. year after. When you well, actually, let's take a let's take a commercial break here on the uh, BTOSports.com RacerX podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Listen to this commercial from Race Tech. Use the code PulpMX15 to save yourself money at Race Tech and DirtCheapHelmets.com. Use the code RiderX to save yourself money on the already dirt cheap price at DirtCheapHelmets.com. We'll be right back with Craig Dack. Hey, thanks for listening to the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Race Tech people, Racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with Race Tech. Trust me on this. There's more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you, eh, probably... 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, 
or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something, something uh, on your bike needs attention for Racetech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Racetech, Privateer Proven. They work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10%? At uh, Racetech, go to Pulp MX 2015 when you order. You can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right, back to the show. DirtCheapHelmets.com is dedicated to protecting your head and your wallet. The site is hands down the coolest and easiest to use in the helmet world. DirtCheapHelmets.com is the one-stop shop to get helmets for you and everyone you love without breaking the bank. We have helmets for our grand opening starting at $40, and that includes free shipping. These are all new helmets that we get a great deal on and pass the savings on to the customer. This includes free shipping on all helmets and a no-hassle exchange policy. We have a wide range of brands including Fly, HJC, Chewy, G-Max, and more. Podcast customers can get 5% off these already smoking good deals by using promo code RIDERX. And we're back on the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Craig Dack, Australian motocross hero on the line. Um, So in 99, the late 90s, you see Chad and you hire him for your team. He rode for you? Yeah, here in Australia, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. right. How how was... Yeah, that... How was he? Like, I was teammates with him for three years. I was Ferry's mechanic um, for three years, and uh, we know the guy now. We're friends with him now. He's not easy to work for, but how was he back then? Hey, yeah, look, he was – he's just a – if you know his father and his background, you know, he's a fairly you – know, Tad's got a – and his father, they've got huge hearts. They're really nice people. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's got a very strong, determined nature, wherever that comes from. Right. And, you know, I've always said that um, when I'm looking for riders, I like to have guys like that because I find that it's easier to tame the beast than to create the beast. True, so, yeah. Um, so, you know, all those attributes that, that I like in a rider or an athlete, Chad had. Mm-hmm. But with that comes some hard work. But, look, I... Chad and I had a really good relationship, and he was just so determined to win, mm-hmm. and he would get so mad or so angry with himself, not anybody else, when he didn't win. And a lot of people think, you know, that that made him very difficult. But in some ways, it did. Mm-hmm. But he would, if he if he had the respect for you, which he did with me, and we had respect for each other, we could sit down and we can reason things through. And you know, I'm not. I'm never going to doubt the way he's gone about it because, you know, the success he's had is phenomenal. For a guy, how, you know, the story of Chad Reed and Ellie just leaving Australia at two young teenagers and heading to Europe, yeah, not knowing where they were going or what they were doing, and then making their way through to America the year after and just pretty much forging their career on their own. It's been, a, it's been an unbelievable story. And, it is, yeah. You know, he'll go down in history as, you know, Mm-hmm. Probably, I don't think we'll ever see another Chad Reed again, to be quite honest. Yeah, really. Am I am I right in saying, like, kind of coming up together, that maybe Burner down under was the faster rider? Like, is that kind of? It's kind of what I hear. But uh, what's your thoughts on that? Was, was yeah. Look, I can't. I can't remember. Yeah, Burner. Burner was a sort of a talented rider. I can't. I can't really cast my mind back 
right. properly to sort of make any analogies. But as you know, a lot of the time, Steve, you find with very successful riders around those riders, mm-hmm. there's always a, a plethora of of more talented guys that everybody says, "Oh, he could have, he could have yeah. been anything," but he never quite made it. Like, yeah. You know, you, you look at your Ron Lachine with you guys. He was, you know, the most talented rider you've ever seen. Um, and I think that was the same here in Australia. There was probably some riders who had more natural talent than Chad, but mm-hmm. Chad's drive and determination just extinguished all that. Right. Now, so Chad goes to GPs. He gets second. He comes back for Yamaha of Troy. He's pissed because he's got to ride the 250F. Of course, being Chad, he lets everybody know that. But you come over with Yamaha Troy, Phil Allerton, of course, team owner. Um, how do you get involved in that deal and come back and kind of kind of be the team manager or coach or whatever was going on? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, I was sitting in my office in Australia in um, – it would have been around September because I remember it was just around the 9/11 time okay. when you had those disasters in the states. Right. And Steve Butler gave me a call because mm-hmm. we talk a lot from time to time. Right. And that was when Steve was running, as you know, he was the team manager there. He was um, running the in-house team, and he told me how Honda had just hired Eric Kehoe. Mm-hmm. So Honda had taken Eric Kehoe from Yamaha to Troy, and that was. Now, Eric had a huge amount of success with that Yamaha Troy team, and so that was a big gap that was left by um, Eric leaving there really late in the year. So, Eric, a lot of people think that I was the one that was instrumental in getting Chad to the Yamaha Troy team, but I wasn't. It was well, actually Eric Kehoe. Yeah, that, I, I, totally, I, I totally thought you did until right now. <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of people think that. So. Eric Kehoe actually hired Chad, but then not long after that, that's when Eric left and went to Honda. Uh-huh. So Steve Butler rang me and just, you know, was was talking about things and told me what had happened with Eric Kehoe leaving Yamaha Troy and Chad just being signed and they needed to find a new team manager. And I said, well, why don't I do it? And he goes, really? And I said, yeah, really. So <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, what, minute. what did I just say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this it, it gets worse because all of a sudden, I'm, next minute I'm on a plane going to America, and remember I've still got CDR Yamaha here in Australia. So right, right. Those two years I was in America, I was running two teams. I was yeah. pretty much managing or co-managing the Yamaha Troy team, but I still had CDR Yamaha running in Australia. So with the time difference, I remember at night time in America, I was doing all my phone calls and and work at night, which was which was middle of the day Australia. Right running the Australian team, and then during the day in America, running the American team. So <laughs> it was just it was just coincidental that Chad and I ended up, you know, working right. together. But, um, you know, it couldn't, have, it couldn't have probably happened in a better way for both of us, really. You know, right. it, was a, it was a feather in my cap to come over to America and mm-hmm. on the big stage and run such a successful program and really being proud the fact that, you know, Yamaha Troy didn't really miss a beat when Eric Kehoe left. You right. know, we still won a championship that year with, with Chad winning the East Coast. And, um, no, it was, a, it was a brilliant time in my life, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and also, too, was it kind of, I think Flipper, uh, you know, he's passed away now, Phil Alderton, a nice guy, great guy. But was Flipper yeah. kind of going through some stuff, too, that would make your life harder? Like sometimes where you were like, oh, man. Mm, it did. It, it did in the end. Yeah. I, I, the first year I was there, he was good. He was. Um, we developed a really nice friendship. And as anybody who met 
Phil would know. He's just a super nice guy, but, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just found some things in life a little bit difficult. And yeah. the second year I was there, you know, things were starting to change a little bit, and I wasn't really enjoying it as much. So right. I stayed for – I managed the, the team for the, for the Supercross series, which was always planned, and then I went home midway through the year yeah. before the outdoor started. And uh, that's remember that's when Chad Reed, I'm um, sorry, when Craig Anderson yeah. come across and rode for Yamaha at Troy. Right, I was going to say, and, and he won Southwick, uh, Ando won Southwick that year. Um, that's right. Yeah. So I I actually hired uh, Anderson to come over and ride for the team before I left. So that was all sort of created right. by me and Philip at the time. But then the strain and the stress of you know running my team mm-hmm. here in Australia and running the Yamaha at Troy team in America. Right. Something had to give, so I had to make a decision, Steve, whether I was going to stay in America and and make that my career for the rest of my days, right? Professional race team running, or come back to Australia and do my own team. And I just felt more passionate about you know CDA yeah. Yamaha being my own team than running someone else's team. So yep. I made the decision to come home here to Australia and. Uh, and the success has been continuing. How'd you get along with the other guys at Troy that year? I'm trying to think. Danny Smith, maybe? Uh, who was on the team yeah. with Chad? I'm trying to think. Yeah, there was... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, too. It was, <laughs> um, Dave... Um, oh, I forget his last name now. Yeah. He ended up being Chad's mechanic when he went to factory Yamaha. Oh, Dave Dye. Yeah, Dave Dye worked. Yeah. Dave Dye, yeah. yeah he's, <laughs> good old Dave Dye. Dave, Dave was, was something else, I'll tell you what. <laughs> oh, he was he was something else. He took he took a lot of managing, that's for sure. Yeah, but yeah. He, Larry, big Larry, who was on yeah. Joe's mechanic. Yeah, Sausage, that's right. Um, sausage, that's it, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dave Dye. I, I got the job at factory Yamaha the next year, and Dave... Um, Dave worked for uh, Chad. Obviously, he came over, and he he only lasted one year. He he didn't really like authority, as you probably know. He didn't really d- dig authority. <laughs> so, no, he didn't. That and was, another another relationship that I developed there that was that was really good was with Dean Baker. He was the yeah. engine guy. Uh huh. And um, so that that was I really enjoyed working with Dean. He's a super nice guy and yeah, you know, very talented guy. I, I developed a really good relationship with Ross Maeda. Yeah, and, uh, Enzo. Right, right. Him and him and I got on really well, uh, and I still get on with him well these days. So right. I made a lot of good friendships over there through that period, and what you a lot uh... of respect from the. You know, I was actually surprised. Um, I was surprised on how many people knew who I was once I got up there. Oh, really? There. And one what? of the yeah, one of the funniest things that happens that. Uh, when uh, the Whoop Monster come and introduced himself to me and told me that he was he'd been following my career, he actually gave me a a toy crocodile. Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, what do you think of American racing? Like, what what did you like about it as a whole? What didn't you like about it? Um, what do you think of it doing? You know, doing a year and a half in America. I liked everything about it. The only thing I didn't like was not being, you know, not being home. I'm a bit of a homebody. I really, I like my country, and it, you know, I, I was, I've always been a, a guy that likes to get home as quick as I can. Right, right. So that was the that was the tough bit. But as far as the country goes and the people, I really enjoyed the the lifestyle there. It's 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 a very hectic and full on lifestyle compared to Australia. But the racing, and it's just a much bigger level. Um, right. you know, compared to Australia, Australia does a, a really good job and probably as good a job as America, but America's just better because it's bigger. You know, there's more, there's so many more people at the events, the height's bigger, the, the, 
the depth of talent is more than Australia. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to, you know, the population difference. You know, there's yeah. only 24 yeah. million people here in Australia. So our races here are very good at the top. You know, these top five guys here are probably world-class riders. Yeah. But we don't have the depth like you do in America. So the intensity of the racing and the intensity of the whole day or the program was something that really, really, you know, mm-hmm. did something else. Yeah, I, I started being a mechanic in 96. I came down from Canada. So I've been almost living down here longer than I have, you know, grew up in Canada. I still find myself, like on a Saturday night, Anaheim Stadium, fireworks go off. I'm like, this is pretty cool. You know what I mean? It's pretty cool. Uh, the stadiums, you know, the stadium experience, the supercars experience. It's, uh, it's pretty yeah, it's Yeah, it's just something else. It was really something else. I remember when I was... When I first got there, that's when Carmichael was still riding the, uh, the the Hondas there, and it's when it was just when the the scrub was just starting to come in, you know, and right, 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 scrubbing on the up ramp of the of, uh, on the up ramp of triples and stuff like that, and I think, you know, that that whole technical side of riding just seemed to change completely overnight, you yeah, know. I yeah. think Stuart was the first one to scrub, but to be there and see that whole new way of riding mm-hmm. coming to Supercross where they were starting to scrub was just something else to see, that's for sure. Surprised you didn't, I'm surprised when you were there that Yamaha Troy team didn't have an exclusive Go The Rat contract. I'm surprised you didn't work on that day. They should have. They should have. <laughs> Go, Go The Rat is still the brand. Everybody still talks about Go The Rat here in Australia. No, they don't. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, uh, uh, did you have any idea, and I it's, you know, when you hire Chad Reed in the late 90s to ride for you, you go to Yamaha Troy. He wins almost every Supercross in the 250 class except for one and, you know, loses to Stewart in the outdoors. But, I mean, right now, if Chad retired tomorrow, he's one of the sport's all-time legends. Did you think he had that in him? Did you, did you see that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. no, really? 100%. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. He was, he was something special. And, I, and, and, you know, I remember, I remember we were over there. Chad and I did the, the final, I think, thousand kilometers on when the on the YZ two fifty F before it actually became production. Mm-hmm. We did some uh, final testing with the, I think the R and D program over there. And whilst I was there, I actually took Chad to Yamaha US and uh, to meet Keith McCarty, and Keith and I have become good friends over the years. Mm-hmm. And um, I introduced Chad to Keith then. Um, that was that was a couple of years or a year before he got the the Yamaha Troy deal. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, at the time, I think Keith already had his program already set up over there with the riders were already contracted, so there was no room for Chad. Right. But even at that stage, before he went to Europe, when he was still riding for me, mm-hmm. I still you know was was willing to introduce him to a few people around the world. In fact, Rinaldi also was was fairly keen on Chad for so that year. He went to Europe, but I think Rinaldi was also uh, completely signed with his rider. So right. we tried to keep him on the Yamaha as much as we could before he took off out of Australia, but it was just a, it was just a timing thing that nothing was yeah. available, maybe because riders were halfway through two-year contracts, etc. Right. But um, I think it's... Um, but you saw this great... I, look, and I, yeah. I was only talking to Chad the other day, and I don't know where he's at with his Yamaha ride, if that's happening or if it's going to happen, yeah. but... I did say to Chad, I, I did think when Chad was riding at his best, he always looked the best on a Yamaha. You know, he just right. seemed to something to do with that bike. It mm-hmm. suit him. I, I told him this a little while ago. I said, you, 
you went to four strokes too early, and he disagreed with me because he's Chad and he's going to disagree with everything. But I, <laughs> I, you know, he watching him day in and day out when I was on Yamaha and on a, on a two fifty two stroke. Now look, the sport was going to four strokes eventually. That was always going to happen. But man, you want to talk about an aggressive attacking balls out kind of guy on a two stroke Yamaha two fifty? That was Chad Reed to me. I mean, that was just that was something special. Hundred percent. And one of the things I liked about Chad and still do to this day, when Chad's when he's on it, what I used to like when he's really on it and he's aggressive like that, you look at his body language on the bike. His mm-hmm. body language is still relaxed. Mm-hmm. He can hit things so hard and so aggressive, but you know his body just still looks like rubber. It just looks loose and easy, and you know he rides through a turn like it's just not even there. Mm-hmm. You know so. You know, and I, I agree with you, Steve. When he was on those two strokes and, you know, he was on his game, it was just something special to watch, that's yeah. for sure. And uh, where were you when he, when he won Anaheim this year <laughs> on the Cowie? And, I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty phenomenal. But do you, do you follow it that closely, like live like that, where you're, you're watching it? 100%, yeah. yeah. We, get it, we get it live. If I'm not, if I'm not away traveling, right. um, usually – we get it live on Fox Sport here in Australia Sunday oh, okay. morning our time. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was home to watch that. And, uh, yeah, he certainly had another couple of special wins over the last couple of years, too, oh, which seemed to yeah. reignite his popularity and his notoriety, that's for sure. I, I don't want to get you in trouble with uh, your riders or other people in Australian motocross, but, you know, for a while there, uh, obviously, you know, yourself and Lee really put Australian motocross on the map. A little bit of a lull. Uh, Chad Reed, Brett Metcalf, Michael Byrne. Uh, look, Anderson comes over, wins a race. Um, probably somebody I'm forgetting. The uh, little rise in Australian motocross. Now it's kind of slumped a little bit. Obviously, Hayden Melross is over here. Um, Ferris and Waters are doing the GPs. What? Who's the next special Australian motocrosser? Or, or, or is there somebody that you know you have an eye on that could, you know, I, I don't know, but not reach Chad Reed levels because let's be serious that's you know that's one of the legends but who can get back to a Brett Metcalf Michael Byrne level is there somebody do you have an eye on someone well there is a, there is a, a few kids coming through at the moment I, I we, we threw a lifeline at a young guy last year Jacob Wright mm-hmm. um, and got him on the team for the last couple of rounds last few rounds last year and he come out and won a moto and almost won a day um, and then Kawasaki is just um, given a young guy, uh, Dylan Long, a ride mm-hmm. here in Australia, and he just won a moto recently. Okay. And there's an- another couple of young kids around. At the moment, Steve, I can't really see if they're going to be the special one just yet, but there are a bunch of young people floating around. Yep. And it's, it is always hard because all of a sudden, a lot of the times, you know, the one that you least expect pops his head up all of a sudden. And you yeah, go, yeah. where did he come from? You know? Right, right. And... And in some ways, Chad was a little bit like that. And he, when Chad went to America, I think what happened by him winning then turned the light on in Australia. So all of a sudden, you know, people were going, okay, who's this Chad Reed and what's going on in Australia? <laughs> right. So that, I think that paved the way for Michael Byrne and Metcalf and all those guys or how about, um, to how you know, about... get, get some interest or get some people looking at them. I think, um, I think Dan... It was not dissimilar... I to the 80s. Remember when yeah, John yeah. Michelle Bale came over? Sure, all right. Of a sudden there was a bunch of French riders that would come up. Yeah. Villeman so, uh, got Tortelli and got Roncada and got Pichon, or Pichon, I should say, got Villeman. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. There was a little bit of run on that. I think I think Dan Reardon got a Geico ride sure, solely on beating Chad Reed at a local race. 
down there. <laughs> That's right. That was that was at a, at a, a round of the, the the national championship. So that I think the Costa started all that. I think the Costa was the first one to contact him and yeah. tried to get him on the Suzuki team. But then all of a sudden that just turned into a bit of a frenzy, and he had a yeah. few other teams talking to him. So right, Chad. Chad really, and I, I would, I would suspect that Michael Byrne and Metcalf and those guys would would acknowledge that that Chad was the one that turned the I tap think, on yeah. for Australia. Yeah, I think they do. You know, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be interesting to see. You know what I mean? There's definitely, uh, um, you know, we've always had a fast Australian over here. It seems like always somebody. You know, what I mean? and 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 again, Hayden Melross, nothing to shake a stick at. Pretty good. You know, uh, got some good finishes. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think what the I think one of the one of the difficult things uh, for the riders here in Australia now is, you know, the sport is quite good here in Australia, and and there's there's five or six really good teams here, mm-hmm. and the, they can get some good rides here in Australia and make some make some decent money, which puts them in a a bit of a comfort zone. So, yeah. you know, back sort of when Chad was doing it, you know, he, I, you know, his base salary that he got off us was, you know. Not much more than a can of coke and a, and a pizza, <laughs> right? But right. Um, but uh, so he he really didn't have anything really here to stay for. So he had to he had to take off and chase the big world, you know. Right. Um, now um, there's a bit of there's a bit more for these guys to lose because they can try and go and make it on a world stage, which everybody doesn't make it, as we know. Right. Um, or they stay here and, and make a fairly decent living out of it. So I think that's part of the problem for these young guys as well. So what, I think what you need is, as we say, one of those special guys that's not driven by money or driven by anything else, but just driven yeah. by or have that drive to go and be the best in the world. And who that is, I, I don't know yet. Yeah, it's kind of the same as – and by the way, you're to blame, Craig Dak, because you're giving these guys salaries and good rides, so you're a little bit to blame. I 100% agree with you. <laughs> I am part of the problem, no um, doubt. And it's the same thing in my Canadian motocross. Uh, there's some guys up there, they're making 50, 60 grand, which is you know is not great, but they're racing a 10-race series, they're making that much money, they're starting a family. Why why lose all that to chase purse money? You know, And I see it, I understand correct. it. So it's yeah, kind of the correct. same it's- same idea. And, and look, and, and we and we all, you know, there's a bunch of the industry sort of internally keeps getting bigger and bigger because riders retire and they want to try and stay in the sport somehow, so they try and create a job for themselves. And, right, right. You know, back back in the day, we you know we would have one mechanic, one rider, you know, and, we, right. and that mechanic would would do the suspension and do the engine and wash the bikes and wash the truck, but mm-hmm. now. We've you know got a suspension guy and we've got an ignition guy and we've got a <laughs> or electronics guy and then we've got an engine guy and then we've got a practice bike mechanic. So we keep making these programs bigger and bigger, which you sort of have to do. It's just what happens in sport, and um, so you put so much more comfort around these riders. So why would they want to leave Australia? Why would they want to leave that comfort zone and go and? maybe make it, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, before we wrap this up, uh, and I want to thank you for doing it, um, the uh, BTOsports.com RacerX podcast was done by Fox Racing with Craig Dak. Before we wrap it up, give me your best race of your career, just one that you were, you felt the best, you had the best results. Uh, what what comes to mind? Well, what we talked about earlier, I think that 1986 Mister um, Mister Motocross, 1986 yeah. Motocross, the yep, Nations, the Nations. Yep. where I think you know, as I said, Bailey won on the 500, right. Johnson was second, and Thorpe was third on the 500, and just coming, 
down the main straight uh, at Majora there with five laps to go and seeing Dave Thought's pit board saying, you know, yeah. uh, Dak coming. Dak coming, you know, right. Dak, you know, plus five, then it was plus two, plus one on Thorpe's board. That, right. That was probably the most standout. And that, that was the first time I've ever been out of Australia. So I turned up at this event in Italy at Majora, and there were 70,000 people there. Right. I was like a, a possum in the headlights. Yeah, really, right? Um, and by the way, yeah. Canada's own Al Dick got fifth in, I think, in one moto, 125. So just want, to, want you to know that. Nice. <laughs> um, okay, best race bike you had. What was, what was your favorite bike? Oh. Any? I any? think. Yeah, I think my 1988 YZ250. I really liked that bike for some reason. I remember. Yeah. I remember when I was on that bike in Supercross. It it didn't turn very well. Mm-hmm. But it was so stable in a straight line. It never, you could hit a set of whoops or you could hit a really rough straight as mm-hmm. hard as you could, and the thing would never want to step out. It was really stable. Right. I remember that thing being a, a very easy bike to ride. I'm building one of those in my garage right now as we speak. I'm going to, uh, well, gotta, that, I'm building that one. That could of, be my comeback, Steve. Yeah, come on, come on, get some, go the rat gear and we'll, <laughs> we'll do this. Um, okay. Okay, your worst race of your career. What was one that stands out that just. Didn't go as planned. Oh, I remember there was a, a round of Mr. Motocross in Australia. Okay. And um, it was really, really muddy. It was about 1987, mm-hmm. and it was really muddy, and I just couldn't get my act together in all day. And I remember in one of the races, I just, the first time I ever did it in my career, I pulled off to the side of the track and just put my head in the handlebars, <laughs> and I think I almost cried. And yeah. it was just... Was was I was actually leading the series at that point? And I just couldn't get my shit together. Jeez! Wow. And uh, I rode finally back to the pits, and my mechanic, who's, who is my technical yeah. manager now, Gary Ben, same guy. First thing he said to me, he said, "I thought you had more in you than that, Dak," and oh. just got me when I was down. So that was probably the most standout tomorrowizing uh, day of my life. Yeah, you're like, thank you, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, I understood the psychology of it, but I didn't want it right then. <laughs> right, right. Uh, best track. What's your favorite track you've ever ridden? Is there one that stands out? Yeah, Majora. Majora, yeah. 1986. Yeah, yeah. We right. keep getting back to that, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's okay. <laughs> I uh, I understand that totally. I get it. Uh, Tim Ferry and I won a race once, and I'm still talking about it 15 years later, so I get it. Correct. Uh, Correct. Um, well, hey, uh, Dak, thank you for, for doing this. I told you I needed an hour, and you gave it to me. It's awesome, man. I know you're busy. You're busy, dude. CDR racing going on, and I appreciated the stroll down memory lane. I think a lot of listeners will, too, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, Steve. I hope I didn't bore too many people, but it's a privilege to have a chat with you, buddy. No, it's great. Thanks very much, and uh, we'll talk soon. See ya. See you, Steve. All right. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbic is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a 
handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. Those are the days.